It is good to be here with you all and to be able to kick off this amazing book of Galatians. And with it, we have some news. We have news with this passage. It's about news. It's not news from an upstart blogger. It's not news from the mainstream media. It's not news from whatever sort of crazy website that is on either end of the spectrum. It is news from God. We have news from God, and it is in this incredible book called Galatians that is not from just human sources, but from God himself, as we start to see in the midst of this amazing, amazing letter that was written to some folks in an area called Galatia. And it's all good news. It's great news, actually. Incredible news that we have to share today. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to grab it, to open it up to Galatians. It's in the New Testament. It's after Corinthians, before Ephesians. Uh, There's Bibles in the back of the seat there in front of you. We are going to be today here in Galatians 1, 1 through 5, as we dig in and look into what God has for us in this incredible book full of good and great news. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 here right off the bat. It says, Paul, an apostle. Paul's writing this. This guy named Paul, he was a good Jewish man. He was actually one of the religious leaders. His name was Saul, so it's a good Jewish name too. His name of Israel, the first king of Israel, Saul. And he is there, and he's righteous, and he does right. And he uh, is really just strong and steadfast, even to persecute these new people called Christians or these followers of the way, and he persecutes them because they're going against what he believes is the truth. And so this guy, though, then is met by Jesus on his road to Damascus, Syria, to go persecute some more Christians, and his life is radically changed, and so is his name. And now he's Paul. He is Paul, an apostle, because he actually was with Jesus and was sent by Jesus. That's who he is, and that's what the next little parentheses part says. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man. He's saying, I'm no longer representing the institution. I am now representing Jesus and this new movement that we have that is all about Jesus. It says, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right off here, too, he's connecting that Jesus Christ and God the Father, this is the same thing. This is God. This is who God is. And he is the one who was raised from the dead that we just celebrated last Sunday. And then all the brethren who are with me, we all write to the churches in Galatia. All right, so there's more than one church. There's a bunch of churches. Galatia is a region. Okay, so what you see here, you've got Greece here. See Jerusalem way down in the bottom right. So that's where Israel is. This whole big area right here is called Asia Minor. Now remember we did the whole series on Ephesus. We talked a lot about Asia Minor. Ephesus right here on the map. And this whole region is called the province of Asia. And then this region right here is the region of Galatia. Okay, so we have Galatia there. And then these are some of the the big cities of southern Galatia, which is really like kind of the heart of where this book was written to or this letter was written to. And it's called a circulating letter. It means a letter that would go around to all the different churches and it would get read out loud in these different towns like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. 
Now, as you read the scriptures, you'll, you'll hear some of the, the names of these cities. And you then can know, okay, these cities, are, when they're talking about those places, that's Galatia. Okay, so that's the letter to the Galatians, is to the folks that live in those spots. So this whole thing is written to the churches in Galatia. Now let's read then what is the beginning of what he writes. He says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's a connection of kind of some of this old and new. Grace, this new thing that's offered really in, an, in this new way through Jesus Christ. And peace, which is this, this concept of shalom, right, that the people were wanting and hoping for. How can we have this shalom, this peace in Christ, uh, in God? And then now you have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How? It says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Even as we sang that, as we sang that to glory to God forevermore, we we're singing that. That's what we want to be giving glory to God for this, for what we celebrated last week. We give God glory for what he's done. And so this is how Paul starts this whole thing, this whole letter that he has for these folks. And it's really about three things that we're going to talk about today. And you can find that in your notes if you want to pull that out. But we got bad news, we have fake news. <laughs> yeah, and we have good news. Okay, so there's bad news, fake news, good news. And we're going to talk about uh, what that all means as we go through this. So the bad news, the bad news is this, that the present age is evil and we're all part of it. Us and our sins, we're all part of it as he's talking to these folks in Galatia, this present evil age. So let's talk a little bit, especially in this first uh, teaching that we have in this whole series. we got to get a little bit of a sense of what's going on in this whole place called Galatia in the first century. So remembering where we're at in the world, remembering this whole area here is ruled and has been conquered by Rome. Okay, so again, I know we've talked about this a lot, but it's important even just, I think, whenever we think about the New Testament to remember what they're living in and under this this uh, not just occupation by Rome and rule by, of Rome, but the influence of Rome. Okay, so you've got all these things of uh, uh, emperor worship, that the emperor was a god in their minds, and that his coming was the gospel, this good news of his coming. And you've got uh, all of these crazy practices that go along with the Greek Roman mythological gods that if you want to have a business that you have to be a part of a trade guild, that part of that trade guild is worshiping and making sacrifices to these gods. That if you want to go to a business networking meeting, you're going to go and experience these sexual orgy practices and drinking wine out of giant bowls and vomiting uh, uh, into another bowl and then drinking more. And all of that is part of how, you know, your business networking meetings are going to work. And it's a crazy world and a crazy life, but that's the sort of thing they're living in. They, they want to be, you know, they need to go to the doctor. They have to go to the doctor where the doctors do the work, but you better make a sacrifice to the Greek god or Roman god Asclepius because that's what we're attributing the healing is from, is from this god Asclepius. So all of that kind of stuff is what's going on in this region as it's ruled by Rome. 
Now, all this, this whole letter is written somewhere around 50 A.D., so think, you know, somewhere around 20 years after Christ has, has ascended. And then you've got also about 20 years before the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. So in this whole time, you still have in Jerusalem all of the kind of normal uh, second temple rituals taking place. Okay, you've got all of the sacrifices that are happening at the temple. So there, in this place in Galatia, they're a little bit stuck in between worlds, right? You've got the Roman Empire, but then they're hearing about Jesus from these Jewish people from Jerusalem that are telling them about Jesus, and they're kind of trapped in between all of this stuff that's going on with, uh, you know, with all the practices of the Jews and then the practices of the, the Gentiles or the Greeks and Romans. And then, so all of that then is being lived out by these people of Galatia, and we'll kind of see what then happens with it. But then it's important then for us to consider what is our present evil age, right? What is going on for us when we consider the bad news? You know, we are in a world that is maybe not so different than the first century. There's, there's a lot going on in our day that is wild and crazy. It's different, but it's, it's incredible when you think about the, the way that every lust is available at our fingertips. Every hunger can be satisfied at the click of a button on a screen. You know, where people are, are living in this kind of age that we're in. There's this um, huge, massive book called A Secular Age by a guy named Charles Taylor who wrote of what is this age that we're living in. And in it, he talks about something called exclusive humanism. Exclusive humanism is that we are completely self-sufficient as human beings, okay? We can do everything ourselves. So it's not even just a disbelief or an unbelief in the gods, you know, because he's, he's even kind of talking about it a little bit like more macro than just from Christianity, but it's even anything supernatural. So you've got this, this disbelief in, in God, but it's also this sense that he writes that today we think we can find significance and meaning without God. We can even find meaning in life without anything that's transcendent or divine. And so that's the kind of age that we're living in. Now he also talks that he thinks there, there ends up becoming what he calls in this kind of fancy way of saying a malaise of meaninglessness that eventually that all kind of wears off. It doesn't, it doesn't last over time. And so that's where we can bring hope in Christ. But uh, all of that, you know, is where our culture is essentially this culture that the only sin in our secular age is hurting an innocent. All else, it, just anything else goes. Do whatever you want. You know, and, and so that's the age that we're living in. The gods are dead. God is dead. So then, and then in the midst of that, we have our own sin. We are not innocent in all of this. That we are a voice among the scoffers. That we have the sin in, in our hearts, in our minds, that is played out. Where, like Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we have to recognize in and of ourselves where, where does our sin get played out. It's not just a them thing. You know, it's not just those people out there. It's us. So we recognize how we are also part of this present evil age. 
Now, here's where the fake news comes in in the midst of that. Because, yes, the age is evil, and we're like, okay, we get it. We know that. We know that we've all sinned. So then fake news comes in, and, you know, it's fake news is obviously this whole thing, and uh, it's like a new word in our, <laughs> in our culture now, in our pop culture. But, and, it, and it's also even a thing, just as a side note, it just makes me sad, because I remember growing up, and I just thought, I, oh, I kind of even wanted to be a journalist, and it's like, yeah, now it's like, what is truth, and what is anything in the world out there? Who can you believe, and what can you do? And uh, it seemed like such an honorable thing to be able to be this check against power, and I, I love that. And it's like, ah, oh, I wish we could get back to that in this web. And, and it's, it's also, though, it creeps into every part of our, our culture of what can we believe, because we're fed so many lies from all Sides, And I think that the enemy thrives on that. That, you know, that Satan just brings confusion and chaos. And that's what he wants to bring, whereas Christ wants to bring us to clarity. But we have to then be able to answer ourselves in a fake news sort of world. Okay, how do we answer this question? It's a very important question for us to be able to answer. Jesus plus what and plus what equals salvation, Right? I mean, consider how would you answer this question. What are you going to put in these boxes? Jesus plus what and what equals salvation. Can you answer that for yourself? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud, but consider how would you answer this question. It's a very simple answer, and the answer is this. Jesus plus nothing and still nothing equals salvation. Okay? Jesus plus nothing and still nothing equals salvation. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. All is found in Christ. And that's where we get this fake news. And the people of Galatia got a fake news. That the solution to sin was to keep the law. And remember how I talked about how they're trapped between these worlds. And you've got this whole thing going on in this place of Galatia. Where... They're like just coming to know Jesus. And there are these people that there's Gentiles coming to know Jesus. There's Jews coming to know Jesus. And then there's this group of Jewish believers that still thinks that you have to be circumcised to be saved. You still have to keep all of the Jewish dietary laws and all of the the rituals and the Levitical laws to be saved. You have to keep all of that, they're saying. And so that's the, the fake news that's coming in. Now, Paul has some harsh words, so we'll learn more about Galatians 3.3 3 later. But I like, I mean, I like the strength of it here where he says, Are you so foolish? Just bam, you're fools. That's a big word. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So it's this thing like, you knew you were saved... By the work of God, but now you think you should be sanctified by your own strength, by your own work. And he's calling them out for that. He's going to call them out for it in verse 6 that we'll talk about next week as well. I mean, he just goes at them for this kind of thinking. And it was a big thing for Paul. And, and you've got this whole thing of this false gospel of works, of behavior, modification, essentially, as, as uh, what is this means to salvation. And... Uh, so what's going on here, too, is when you think about Galatians, I also want you to think about uh, some parts of the book of Acts. Because Paul is writing to the Galatians, but then Paul was going around uh, 
to these different parts of that, that big map, right? And he's going and sharing the gospel with all these people. And he was sharing the gospel in, in uh, some of these cities uh, that we talk about uh, in, in Acts that we'll see that are part of Galatia. So if you look at Acts 14 and 15, there's a lot going on that relates to this book of Galatians. And you see Paul, he goes to Iconium, he goes to Lystra, he goes to Derby, he goes to uh, Lyconia, he goes to all these different cities and he's preaching the gospel. Even to the point where these Jewish people get so mad at him that they end up stoning him at the end of chapter 14 in Acts 14. They throw rocks at him till they thought he was dead. They actually thought he was dead. So that means he's at least unconscious, right? So just imagine you're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you have rocks thrown at you till you're unconscious, bleeding, and they think you're dead. He's dragged out of the city and thrown out. And then it ends up that he's not quite dead yet. And so they, they you know, help re- restore him. And then he just goes right on preaching again. You know, he just goes for it. And like, just no fear. I love it. I love Paul's example here that you see. But then in chapter 15, they get to this point where it says, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so there's a big argument about it. you got to remember, this is all so new, right? They're, they're kind of figuring some of this out, and like people don't get what's really going on. And so Paul and Barnabas are having this argument with them. And so some people say, hey, well, I think you guys should go up to Jerusalem, talk to the apostles, the main leaders of this new church called The Way, uh, these followers of, of The Way of Jesus. And James is there as the leader of that. And they do. They go and they tell them about all these Gentiles that are saved and how awesome it is. And they give this big speech. And even in, in Acts 15, 11 says, you know, he says, how can we put this yoke, in verse 10, he says, how can we put this yoke of burden on them of the law? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. And so they all listen to this speech. And then they go away and they think about it. And James comes back and says, yes, you're right. You're right. We should not put this burden of the law on them. And it's a big, huge, pivotal moment in this movement that we call Christianity. And it, kind of, it goes on from there. So I want you to take some time and read that. I'm sure we'll be referring to it. But read it. Because Paul, he was this important man. He, he, was a, he was a man that knew the law. He lived the law to the best of his ability. And he was successful. He was respected. You know, he, he was a leader. But he knew that he needed to be rescued. He needed Jesus. He could not do this through the law. And there's another story that I heard, uh, that I read about uh, just in these last couple months. And I read about this pastor. And there was a pastor named Clay. And he was a pastor who graduated with honors from a school in Kentucky where he studied religion. And then he went on to seminary after that, and he studied, and then he and went on to become a senior pastor of a church after that. And he was ordained in a large denomination, and he was serving God, and he was faithful, and he was doing all this. And then he went, uh, he, he was also helping out with their youth group as well here and there. And he went on a retreat with their youth ministry, with their church. And they went to Disney World, and they were doing a thing where they go to Disney World in the day, and then at night they would go to a convention center and have like a big thing with a speaker and music and all that. And one of the nights, he heard this speaker talking about Jesus and grace and all of this and the gospel. And he realized in the middle of the person's 
message at this convention center in Orlando that he had never placed his trust in Jesus Christ. And he was this pastor. But he was doing all of the right stuff. And he had been trained and he had been, um, you know, had experienced serving others. He was moral. He was upright. He was hardworking. He was a good person. But all of that was meaningless because he was placing his trust in his works instead of in Jesus Christ alone. It was fake news. He needed the good news. And what that makes me think is if this guy, this pastor, could be that off, could we, could there be some of us in this room that are living lives that look good on the outside, but we've actually never placed our trust fully in Jesus Christ. That we have just been doing this thing called Christianity in church, but we've believed a fake news. I want you to think about that for yourself and where you're at when it comes to it. Because this was not just a, century, like a first century heresy. This is a, a heresy of being good people that creeps into all of our lives. We have to remember that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's like we've been given a glass of, of just pure, clean water, right? We have this glass of pure, clean water. Even the scripture talks about uh, living water, ma'im ha'im in the, in the uh, Hebrew. Living water. There's this dead water in these cisterns that's just gross. And, and he says, I will bring fresh, clean water that you'll never thirst again. And, and Jesus offers them this. So it's kind of having this pure glass of water, and if you add something to it, it changes it. I mean, you could even, you would add arsenic to this beautiful glass of water, and it would look the same. It would just look the same, but it wouldn't be water of life. It would become water of death. We can't add something to this, this uh, equation of salvation, right? It's Jesus and his grace that he offers as a free gift alone. And that's what the good news is. We can't believe the fake news. We have to recognize that the good news is that Jesus rescues us. That's what's in the text. We go back to that Galatians 1 text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. That Jesus was that substitute for us. For our sins, he gave himself so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. Now, this Greek word rescue, it's uh, this awesome word, exaireo, okay? This Greek word means to take out, select. It's also the word that they use and they say it's better to gouge out your eye uh, than to, you know, have, let your eyes make you sin. Uh, it's that same word. But in this tense here, it is to rescue, to set free, to deliver. This word means all of these things. And when... Uh, you know, in the Greek, when Stephen gives his speech in the book of Acts, he gives this speech before he is stoned and killed. When Stephen gives this speech about the history of Israel, he uses this word rescue when he talks about Joseph. And when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers. Now he's in this pit and he can't get out. And he's, he's in there and he would be dead unless he was pulled out and rescued. And it says that he was rescued from that pit. It's the word that is used about the Israelites when they were in slavery uh, with the Egyptians. 
okay, when they were in slavery to the Egyptians, they had to be delivered, rescued, set free from their bondage. It's that word that's used. It's the same word that was used when Peter was set free from prison by the angel, and the angel came and rescued him from prison. That's this same Greek word. It is a word that implies we must be helpless. We must be, you know, alone and not able to save ourselves. We are lost and we must be rescued and delivered by God. And that's what we have to remember. That all of this comes, it's all about rescue. We are rescued by a holy God. That is what the gospel is, the good news. And the good news, no matter what kind of fancy words you want to put attached to the gospel or say the gospel is this and that and have all these different phrases, the gospel is this. The gospel is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. So we're going to study and we're going to understand it more. But if somebody says, hey, what's the gospel? How do you define the gospel? And you want to just say it in really a simple way, just say one word, Jesus. The good news is Jesus. But he comes, and he comes to establish a kingdom. So I want us to understand that a bit more. So get comfortable. We're going to watch a little video here that helps us to understand what is the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remain in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running, and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said... The greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. 
Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside-down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So this good, this good news is of Jesus. Jesus and his kingdom, who came to rescue us, that we were in chains. Some of us are in chains, enslaved to our sin. And when we trust in Jesus, then we are free. We are set free. We are rescued. And we are now part of his kingdom. And then we live our lives then each day under his rule because he is the king if we're in the kingdom he's the king and we live our lives under that rule and reign of him as our king and so we are set free but set free to then live our life for him but we also still live it through him we are saved by the gospel but we also live by the gospel and that's what I want us to understand. And that's what we're trying to say even in our, our new vision statement as a church is that we are continually being changed by the gospel. Yes, we were saved because of the good news of Jesus. But we also live each day through him and the power of his spirit in our lives. And it's so easy for us to become foolish, like Paul said, and think that, okay, we've been saved by the spirit, but now we're perfected by the flesh. I remember uh, I found just recently some... Some old journals. We were cleaning out the, the garage, you know, and I find a tub and it had some stuff in it from college. And I found these journals, and I wasn't a big journaler. I've got about, you know, 20 journals with the first 10 pages written in. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I was finding some of these that where I was, had a little, little hot streak here where I was actually journaling for a bit. 
but man, I was an emotional kid in, in college. And I was thinking about how, I was looking at how I was right. I was really earnest, just wanting to, to live my life for the Lord. And what I was reading as I was looking through these is that whenever I would would blow it, essentially, if I would succumb to some sort of temptation or lust, or even for me, it was, I mean, I was hard myself. It was if I wasn't reading my Bible every day and keeping up with my one-year Bible plan and prayer and, like, doing all of this, like, if I w- wasn't keeping up with that, I was just down. And I was all just this emo, emotional kid just writing all these woe-is-me sorts of things, just thinking terribly about myself. But then if I was doing well and I was reading my Bible every day and I was, you know, doing well and resisting temptation and whatever that was, I would just be full of pride and like, yeah, I got this thing. You know, I'm this good Christian. I'm going to be the world's greatest Christian leader someday. You know, that, that sort of thought. And I was reading through it and it was just this roller coaster ride of guilt and shame and worthlessness to pride and boastfulness. You know, and I would just go up and down and up and down. And that's not to say that I've got it all figured out now. I'm probably just a little less dramatic about it. But, you know, it's still a, it's still a struggle because we can so easily just get into this thing where when I'm doing well, you know, it's like even that is not the spirit. And when I'm, when I'm struggling, like, of course that's not. I'm just the worst thing that's ever been created. You know, like instead of recognizing that the strength and power to, to live well, to live according to the spirit of God, to resist temptation, to remember what to say, to know what to do, and all of these things, that all comes from the power of the spirit of God that dwells within us. And let's not just be so crazy on these roller coaster rides of shame to pride and shame to pride. And, and so I recognize how this can so easily creep into our lives because we have to recognize that we are continually being changed by the gospel. We are continually being shaped by him and the work of Christ and the work of the Spirit in our lives. And what I want to say to you is if you are in this room today and you have not responded to that good news, the good news that salvation is a free gift from God, that he gives it freely to you, his grace upon your sin to redeem you and rescue you from your sin and from your attempts to to live for him. He rescues you from your good works and your sin and he puts on you clothes of righteousness and you now now wear that forever as you receive that free gift from God. If you have not received that free gift from God, I want you to receive it today so badly. Be relieved of that burden, that yoke that is upon you of these works. You have an opportunity to respond to him today in that. But I also ask you, if you are someone in this room today who is a believer and follower of Jesus Christ... I want to challenge you in a big way that if this is good news, are you sharing the good news with people? News is meant to be shared, not to be hoarded. When we hear something good, we share it with other people. That's why, like, when it says euangelion, right, it's this evangelism. We are sharing that good news, that gospel with others. And I want to challenge us as a church, may Calvary Church not be a place where we are comfortable with the old news. Let us share the good news. Let it not be old news, but be good news and share that. 
And so we even want to equip you. We want to help you with that. That's what we're here for as a church. And you heard earlier in the service as we talked about just a class starting next Sunday called Helping Others Discover Jesus. If you need help in that, we want to help you. We want to help you discover your purpose as well as you can live that out in your gifting as you walk in the Spirit and you live through the Spirit's power and through His gifting in your life. And then you can share the good news of Jesus Christ in the best way that God has shaped you to do that. But I challenge us, let us not just be people who sit here and are comfortable, but say, God, Give me a vision of how I can be changed by the gospel and then love like you, Lord Jesus, across all cultures, generations, whoever. Because we want to see that God reaches Orange County and the world for Jesus Christ through us. Amen? Yeah, I, I just, I want that for us so badly that we would be a church that we see seats in this room filled, but they are filled because People come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, not because they've left the last church where they didn't like the music, okay? We want to see Jesus' name made great in Orange County and then see people come to know him and come worship and be part of our family. So I encourage us in that. And we're going to take now some time just to worship and to praise God, to give him glory forever for who he is and what he's done. And that's why we worship, because of God, because God is worthy of worship. But as we worship, we're going to have just an opportunity. Just These prayer points are available if you want to come for prayer. Honestly, for anything that's going on in life. But especially if you are one who feels like you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ. That received that free gift of salvation through the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. I encourage you to come and to pray. I'm going to go to a spot. Other leaders in this room, go to a spot where we're available to pray, both now in these next couple songs, as well as after the service. So let's pray together. Almighty God, we come before you, and we are just a people who are in awe of you, of who you are and what you have done. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave yourself for us. On that cross. That you took the sins of the world. You took my sin, God, upon yourself. You were the substitute. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you, though, that sin and death could not hold you. You had victory over death as you came back to life again through your resurrection. And God, I thank you for the free gift that you offer to each one in this room. And Lord, I pray right now. For those in this room who might feel just the smallest tug from your spirit, that they would respond. Respond to your gift offer, God. That they would receive it today. And may we all leave this place challenged and transformed. In Jesus' name.